Buddhist geeks. Seriously Buddhist, seriously geeky. Episode 90, The Logistics of Being a Bodhisattva. Join us as we finish up our dialogue with Venerable Robina Corton, the highly energetic Tibetan nun who some refer to as a Dharma CEO. This is part two of a two-part series. Buddhist Geeks is supported largely by the generosity of our listeners. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a one-time or a small recurring donation by visiting buddhadharma20.com slash donate. Just to go back to something that popped out at me when you said it, and that's that yes. you guys are combining this for-profit and non-profit. Yes. Um, that's a really interesting concept, one that I heard entrepreneur here in Boulder, Joshua Nisco, who runs Pangea Organics, yes. the uh, soap company. He's doing exactly the same model where he has Pangea yes. Organics, the for-profit, and then it supports all these non-profits. That's that, exactly right. Yeah. And, you, and that's why I think, especially among us Buddhists, as I said before, we all get a bit schizophrenic and live in the sky and say, oh, we're holy, we've given up the ordinary world. But if you think of it again from the, bo- the so-called bodhisattva perspective, and also from the, the point of view of emptiness, Vince, you know, it's like, it's not self-existent. Money is not self-existently good or bad. Commerce, buying and selling itself is not good or bad. It's what our reason for it is. It's our motivation. So I think the more mm. we understand emptiness, not to mention the compassion one, then I think it makes complete sense that we use the tools of the world, you know. Mm. And what I have found, I mean, we developed this team a couple of years ago. Uh, architects, I mean, the architect has given more than $100,000 worth of pro bono work. The uh, uh, engineers, the project managers, they've all been deeply moved by this idea. These good, good people, they're not Buddhists, good people in the ordinary commercial world, lawyers, you know, land use attorneys, they're all really touched by this idea, using their skills, making something really gorgeous, really professional, thinking really big, like people do in the commercial world, mm-hmm. and then using it not just to line pockets, using it for something bigger, and that's what's touching people, and that's what I've seen, and that's given me the encouragement to really continue with this, you know, knowing it, it's confident that it could be successful for this reason, you know? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense that That's Buddhist organizations would That's right. get involved with the so-called conscious business movement and, and actually exactly. makes perfect sense, yeah. Yep. That's great. So anyway, I'm having fun. I've become a... I've become a wheeler dealer in my old age. I know. I'm having it's great fun. I know. That's that's amazing. But the, see, the thing is, too, this, I think it wouldn't, for myself personally, it wouldn't be possible if I weren't a nun. You know, I mean, I'm a nun. I don't get a salary. I don't receive any salary, any wages for what I do. I live on donations. I don't have any medical care. I have nothing. You know, for myself, I have nothing. So, you know, I'm, I'm a bit of an Imelda Marcos of shoes, I have to say. I've got about four pairs of shoes. <laughs> but really, in a sense, my own life is... I have a computer, you know, my little Mac. But if I think of anything else, what do I have? Nothing, you know. And it's the only way it can really work. And then I can really enjoy doing all this. Yeah. And I'm not trying to sound like I'm a holy person. I'm not. I really have a good time. I really enjoy doing it, working with human beings, making things happen. But I know my own mind. I know that it's really... It's, it probably can be successful because I know it's got nothing to do with me. I mean, I'll be dead soon, you know. What's, what's the point? Yeah. So no, it really helps great. you with your renunciation, you know? Yeah, that's great. That's great. What do you think for, for lay practitioners like us? Do we, uh, do we need to watch out if we're too successful? <laughs> well, you know, as we can see the nature of attachment. I mean, you know, it's a cute kind of word, but it goes, as we all know, primordially deep. I mean, mm. The more we look into our own minds, the more we see Buddhist psychology and see how amazing it is really, you know, that this really subtle, pervasive neediness inside us, this attachment as we call it, you know, it's extremely profound and so we've got to be catching it all the time and all the more so 
any one of us, monk or nun or layperson, we all have to watch this. This is the practice of all of us, whatever we are, you know. So, of course, we have to. Mm. But I think with the skillful teachings in the Buddhism, this marvelous teachings on emptiness and the nature of reality, the more we can internalize those, mm. the more we can really study and meditate on those, it gives us the basis. That's the wisdom wing, you know. Mm-hmm. And then you combine that with the wish to help. It's a really marvelous combination. You know, you can stay very stable. Then you can stay stable. Then we can be brave and courageous and take risks, but keep our mind humble, keep our mind simple. Mm. There's not a contradiction, you know? Beautiful. Thank you. Great. So I think that's a great place to kind of wrap up the interview part. And then we have several people in the chat room live. And if they want to throw in any questions or comments, we have another 15 minutes or so. We could kind of uh, have a dialogue through the medium of Ryan and I with... uh, Mm -hmm. Ravina. Yeah, um, they actually already threw out a few questions during the conversation. Nice. So everyone's really super impressed with your action-oriented uh, bodhisattvic activity. Uh, they called you, one person called you a Dharma CEO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. So um, uh, one question was around uh, bodhisattvic burnout. Do you ever experience anything around that or have to struggle with that? Burnout? No. You just, I just have a good sleep at night. No, I don't burn out. Hey. Impressive. That's cool. I don't. No, I mean, I'm just saying I don't. Maybe I did a few years ago, you know, but if you're practicing a little bit and trying to work on your mind, I think you go, you go past that. I get tired, but I go to bed and have a nice sleep, you know, then I wake up all energetic in the morning. Nice. So far, no burnout. All right. Well, that was the other question. They want to know what you did to relax, and you just uh, oh, do the practice relax? and sleep. <laughs> I, was, I have a good sleep, yep. It doesn't, doesn't always be very long. I, I go to the movies. I go for walks. I go to the gym. I have all my prayers on my little, um, my iPod, you know, the little tiny one. What do you call it? The, uh... The Nano? The, no, no, the small The Shuffle. One. The Shuffle. I have all my prayers on my Shuffle. Yeah. yeah. I'm in a, because I'm in an action mode these few years, and as I'm getting older, <laughs> so I often go to the gym in the morning, and I do the, you know, the, I put my, I have my iPod on saying my prayers while I'm doing the gym, or I go for a walk. Nice. So that's what I do for exercise, or I go to the movies. I listen to Miles Davis. Bach, I like music, jazz, I'm an old jazz fan from way back. Nice. All right. Oh, I sleep. That's it. Great. Well, thank you. Um, okay. <laughs> an, yeah, another question, um, and you probably had this one before, but it's uh, you know, a really relevant question. How do you feel as a woman teacher in a male-dominated surrounding well, and culture? You, nothing? I, I, don't, I mean, I have to say now, I mean, my, my own history in the past, first of all, I was a bit of an old, you know, I was brought up a Catholic, actually. And, you know, always wanted to be a nun. Well, she wanted to be a priest, but they wouldn't let me, of course. I was a little girl. <laughs> Strong imprint with all this stuff. And then I think when I was 15, I heard of Billy Holiday, and that blew my mind and opened my world. And I think that my religious aspirations became sort of spiritual. Mm. And then when I was 19, I gave up boys. No, gave up God. Thank you. Said goodbye, God. Hello, boys. And then it was drugs <laughs> and hippie. And then it was sort of communist and lefty. And then black politics at the time, the 60s and 70s. And then eventually feminist, you know. So I was always full on maybe eight or ten years, I think, in, the, in political activity, very strongly. And so in the beginning stages, it was kind of scary for me. It was kind of outrageous. I was smashing into all this kind of patriarchal Asian systems and this whole idea of male and female and the girls sitting behind the boys and all this. And having been a very radical feminist, it was quite a shock to my mind. Mm-hmm. But I think I felt so strongly connected to the Buddhist philosophical view of the universe, and I really was hungry for that. I'd be looking for a sort of a worldview all my life, you know starting with the Catholic one and then going to the kind of the communist one and so on. So when I met these Tibetan lamas, it was me, the Tibetan tradition was the one, I was very, very deeply moved by the whole, this kind of the worldview. I like this very much, getting the big picture. 
And so I knew I had to look into it, do what Buddha said. Don't just, you know, look at the superficial, but really check it out. And so I did a lot of work on my own mind then, really recognizing, you know, my own being a female and then going and working very strongly. So now I can say very comfortably for me, it's not an issue at all. I'm very content to be who I am. And men or women doesn't make any difference. I mean, 98% of all the prisoners we work with happen to be male, Mm -hmm. which is sort of surprising because, you know, sometimes 98% of Buddhist centers has females in it. Right. For whatever reason, it's mostly males who write to us, you know. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah, so there's not a problem for me at all these days. Mm. Have your political sensibilities and your, your feminist, radical feminist uh, perspective changed over the years of being a practitioner? Well, I mean, obviously, isn't yeah. it? The view of the universe I'm using now isn't a feminist one or a communist one. Right. So it's a Buddhist one. It's a mm. quite a profoundly different view, isn't it? But it doesn't contradict any of these things. It incorporates them. So in a sense, of course I'm a feminist. Of course I'm a communist. It doesn't contradict. For me, the Buddhist one being about essentially the nature of mind, consciousness, it's the most subtle view. You know, it's the most profound view. It's far more than male or female or, or race or gender or whatever. It's we've all got consciousness. We all have mind. We're all mind possessors. I mean, the word in Tibetan for sentient being is mind possessor. We all have consciousness, which is beginningless and endless, you know, and this consciousness has this marvelous potential to be perfect. So for me, that's the most profound way to see it. And then, of course, Buddha's views of karma and the universe and emptiness, it incorporates everything else in my mind. I mean, Buddha's philosophy of the universe is my reference point now. Mm. It doesn't exclude other things and incorporates them. Join us for the fourth annual Buddhist Geeks Conference, hosted in partnership with Mindful Cyborgs and Shambhala Sun from October 16th through the 19th in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. This year's conference will be exploring the convergence of Buddhism with modern culture and technology through informative keynote presentations, idea-packed TED-style talks, self-organizing community dialogues, and contemplative workshops and practice periods. This year's list of presenters includes the world's most quantified man, Chris Dancy, abbot of the village Zendo in New York City, Roshi Pat Enkyo O'Hara, and pragmatic Dharma provocateur, Daniel Ingram, as well as many others. For more information, and to register, visit BuddhistGeeks.com slash conference. After nearly a year in private beta, the Buddhist Geeks Network is now open for any independent practitioners who want to engage in interdependent practice. You can find out more about the Buddhist Geeks Network by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. And if you'd like to join the community, and join us in regular social meditation practice or other events that we host there in the network, all freely offered, you're very welcome to do so, again, by visiting BuddhistGeeks.network. Love to see you there.